is silent in the calm. Hushed and empty is the womb of the sky. Welcome, O curious and inquisitive tenor, to the Cephalon Squared Lorecast. Be warned, major spoilers follow. So we recommend skipping until you've completed the game's core story quests. Otherwise, on with the show. G'day Cephalon Collective and welcome to the spooky 13th edition of the Cephalon Squared Lorecast. My name is Cephalon Greg and I'm joined by Cephalon Lucas. How are you, sir? I'm good. Now, I don't believe we actually planned to have the 13th during October. No, we didn't. <laughs> and... It's also not really that spooky. Or is your section spooky? I didn't read it too much. I mean, it could probably be seen as spooky at some points, but meh. Yeah. Meh. It's not, it's not overly spooky. Oh, well, we didn't even think of it, but is there anything spooky that we could have done? Ah, oh, Chains of uh, Harrow, but we've already Chains done that. Yeah. Oh, well. Patient Zero. Patient Zero. Yeah, Patient Zero. Although I kind of already did a little bit of Patient Zero with uh, Alad V back in the day. Certainly did. Hmm. Anyways, we digress. (laughs) We do, we do. We took a little bit of a a path off normal. So uh, this is where I shall insert the new weather jingle. Weather rambles. Weather rambles. Weather rambles. Weather rambles. Glorious. Still glorious. (laughs) Still glorious. And how's the weather treating you up north? Well, it is hot and fucking sticky here today. It is currently 21 degrees Celsius with 87% humidity. It was hailing half an hour ago, and now I'm sweating. (laughs) And that's 70 degrees Fahrenheit, which isn't all that hot, but it's the the freaking humidity that's doing it, especially after just raining and hailing. So sucked in Queensland. Meh. Down here in Melbourne, it's 14 degrees, 57 degrees Fahrenheit, 67% humidity, and it's been kind of like that all day. Dull, boring, kind of cold, rained most of the day. It's a bit shit. That's Melbourne. (laughs) But anyway, that was Weathercast or Weather Rambles for you today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It is a mini, of course, being a lorecast, so we only have a little tidbit of news, and it is a good one. Devstream 132 is coming weekend that this weekend. Did you see the notes for what they're going to be showing off, Lucas? I have not. What are they going to show off? Well, I'm glad you asked, Lucas, because it's interesting. They don't give away too much information, of course, but it says, find out all about update 26. From the update name to your first nemesis. Oh. From Lacera to Lethal Momentum. From Grendel to the Laverian. Join us to learn about what to expect and when to expect it. Oh. Indeed. Oh. So very interesting, especially because they mentioned our first nemesis. First nemesis. Interesting. Mm. I'm looking forward to this. Yes. We don't necessarily know what it means. It might be something they've not told us about. It might be part three of, um, sorry, series three of Nightwave. Or it could mean something that we think it might mean, such as the Kuvalich system. So, I guess we have to wait and Damn see. Damn it. I have no patience. Just give it to me now. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. He has no patience. <laughs> but it's also, um, it's not just update 25.8.2 or whatever. It's 25, It's update 26. 
specifically 26. So this is, so this is going to be the main line that they've been talking about. It'd have to be a mainline update. I mean, the last update, full, full numbered update was a Jovian Concord. So this will be the next mainline update that's named. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Nice. Hell yeah. Bring it on. Anyway, usually the mini news is mini. It wasn't so mini this week, but that's because we're excited. So let's crack on into our lore cast. You ready, Lucas? Yes. Okay, so we do our little uh, spoiler warning, of course, before we head on into it. The quest that we're covering and the information we're covering is kind of early game stuff, but some of Lucas's pieces maybe touches on some late game stuff. Uh, so, of course, there are plenty of spoilers in here. If you don't want anything spoiled, best not to listen until you've played it. Today we're covering Sire's Vigil and the Unum. So if you don't want to learn about them or you want to learn in-game, which is a bit hard, especially for the Unum, don't listen. But otherwise, listen on, because there's some cool stuff today. Very, very cool stuff, especially Lucas's section. Do you want to do the disclaimer? Spoiler warning! Oh, the, okay, the other one. All right. We are allowed to make mistakes while we do research as best we can. Certain bits of info may fall through the cracks. We are only human after all. <laughs> exactly. So forgive us. All right, and and this week I uh, also made some inferences, so I read between the lines a little bit. I don't think it's wrong to have done so, uh, but I wanted to turn this into a little bit of a story instead of just reading over the quest, so I've had to sort of elaborate, and I think it, it's probably accurate, but if there is anything that you know is very wrong, let me know. I'm okay to it and open to it, and I welcome it with open arms. All right, so let's start with Sire's Vigil. So, for a little admin, to start off this quest, you do need to have completed Vor's Prize and the first bounty on the Plains of Eidolon. You then start this quest by selecting a personal favour from Konzu in Cetus, and that will become clear as we go. Cetus. Not only is this the name of the town that the survivors of this area live in, but in their own tongue it means landless, cladeless, a body turned to dust, Turn to moats on a careless wind. It's kind of bleak, isn't it? A little bit. However, as per the fragment Friendship, from where this quote is taken, this meant that the Cetus became home, sorry, that Cetus became home to all of those that didn't have a home, regardless of where they came from, and as such, very strong friendships were formed that lasted a lifetime. Thus starts us on the journey of lost and mended friendship with Sire's Vigil. The in-game quest tells the story of Konzu and his friends Saya and Onko. It does so as a retrospective, but we will simply retell the story as it was. Onko, Saya and Konzu had been friends for a long, long time. Eventually, Konzu even confessed his love for Saya by giving her an iron flower, which is an Ostron custom. Sadly, she was unable to accept this, as she was already in love with Onko. Soon enough, Onko and Saya fell in love. But Konzu did not step in the way of their union, as these were his friends, and he loved them both dearly. Saya and Onko were soon happily married and deeply in love. Onko himself was a man of history and lore, who was studying an unknown something-something in the plains of Eidolon. He was actually studying Gara, and we'll go on into a little bit of that later. However, this study and Onko's tendency to put Cetus first before his family did take a toll on his relationship with Saya, as he often missed important anniversaries. Still, Saya was very proud of what he had accomplished. 
Soon enough, Onko disappeared from the plains of Eidolon. This was a choice he made himself to leave his loved ones so that the greater secrets of the quills could be kept safe. It's also said that Onko had discovered via divination that something terrible would happen to Saya should he stay with her. So he made the decision to leave. This decision must have been very painful, but he felt it must be done. Doing so, however, inadvertently caused a rift between his two remaining friends, as Saya believed Konzu to have been present when Onko disappeared, and that he was hiding something from her, a statement that Konzu denied. Before disappearing, though, Onko hid an Ostron coffer, which is essentially a a lockbox for precious items. Five long years later, when the Tenno prompts Saya to speak to Konzu once again, this lockbox is rediscovered. The quills themselves actually provide Saya with some information that points to news of Onko in the area, and she sends the Tenno to find the news and bring back the Ostron coffer. However, the lock, which requires a special kind of glass key to open it, is shut tight and would destroy the contents if forced open. Thankfully, though, Onko also hid the pieces of the lock on the plains of Eidolon. Some of the pieces did get found by the Grenier, but the Tenno does manage to uncover them all and use the newly reforged glass key to open the shadow lock on the coffer. On opening, we discover the Iron Rose, the very Iron Rose that Konzu had given Saya many, many years before. Saya decides at this point that Onko is indeed lost, and that this was a final plea on his part to remind her to follow her heart instead of her head, thus mending her relationship with Konzu, which was Onko's plan all along. In this way, the two he loved most would still be happy. From this point on, Saya can then be found standing beside Konzu in Cetus. So it's kind of a sad love story, kind of a sad love story. So the two that fell in love, one guy decides that it's best for him to actually leave uh, in order to be able to protect Cetus better and to protect the Ostron people. And so he does leave without telling anyone. He just disappears. And yet he hides something to hopefully spark love between his two remaining friends, which is very sweet, but it takes five years. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's interesting because although you can sort of put these pieces together while you're playing, it doesn't necessarily make sense. I think it's a little bit long-winded, especially with finding all of the pieces of the, the key. And then all of a sudden you're out in space on a Grenier Galleon. Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense with what you're doing at the time, unless you really listen to where you're going. But it's a, a fairly sweet story. Bittersweet, I suppose, is the term that tells the story of the main contact in uh, in Cetus. And I think it does better tells his story than it tells um, Utico. So anyway, that is Sire's Vigil. Anything else to add, Lucas? Uh, n- one thing. Cetus was not originally named Cetus. I can't remember what its original name was, but it basically trans- uh, translated into uh, family family and loved ones yeah. so originally the the cetus that is now cetus was originally just one single family and then upon the loss of uh particular loved members of that family they decided to open it up and change the name of the land in order to allow those with no family to uh to share in the area indeed those with no family or no clan yeah 
etc. So does your section on the Unum touch on Gara at all? It does a little bit. A little bit. Okay. So let's um a little bit. Let's yeah. say no more then and move on into that. Alright. Now I haven't done one of these in a long time, but I really do love doing these little intro parts. So <clears throat> from the Unum fragment. The being known by the Ostroms as the Unum, and to ignorant offworlders as the Wall, has a reputation for prophecy. Those wealthy enough to own moons have journeyed to Cetus, hoping to buy an audience. But the Unum has no use for wealth, and she alone decides who will hear her words and when. Ostrans believe she sits at the pin centre of the universe, listening to the infinite poetry of cause and effect. Some visitors to her chamber leave bitterly disappointed, others elated, and others furious. But one thing is certain. The information she imparts changes the person who receives it. The Unum. Okay, so the Unum is a mysterious entity of untold power residing within the final standing Oricon Tower upon Earth. Now, I'm not going to make any claims as to who or what the Unum is. I don't, uh, I do indeed have my theories, but today we're exploring the knowledge we have been given about this mysterious being. The tower itself seems to be an extension of the entity within, and this is evident by the Tower Flesh Codex entry that states the Unum specifies which part of her temple body may be harvested and when. So we know that the people of Cetus worship the Unum, but why? Well, that answer is all about the abilities of this godlike structure. First off, notice how the Grenier never make an attempt at attacking Cetus. That's because they can't. The city of Cetus is protected by Unum's power to monitor and control advanced technologies within her domain, meaning the Grenier and Corpus weapons and even Warframe's abilities are all shut off by the all-powerful tower. Any hostile intent direct to Cetus is shut down. Secondly, is her ability to show visions of events not yet transpired. We know one such example was that her ability, uh, that Onko, if he never left Sire, then he believes that visions of her peril would have come to pass. Visions that had been given to him by the Unum. Now the third ability, this one is a bit of a strange one uh, to say the least, and for this we need to take a look into some uh, deeper lore that was revealed in Sire's Vigil questline, and then expanded upon by the Thousand Year Fish. The legends start during the fall of the Orican Empire, when the Tenno turned betrayer. During this time, a sentient sent, set its sights on the Towers of Ur, later to be named Earth. These towers were believed to be the centre of the Orican Empire, and as such became prime targets for the Empire's enemies. Finally, the great sentient had destroyed all but one tower, the Unum, which is very funny because Lat uh, Unum is Latin for number one. But the Unum was different from other towers. Foremost, all but one of the Tenno had gone by this stage, or so was believed, uh, but Gara stood as the last defender of Unum against the Sentient. Using the daytime to hunt for the Sentient, uh, as the Sentient became weaker in the sunlight, and during nightfall, the tables would turn. Night after night, the worshippers of Unum would throw themselves at the Sentient, sacrificing their lives for the Tower. 
The Unum saw that this had to end soon and devised a plan to find the sentient, and so she gave her followers her blood, which was also called Purified Temple Kuva. How this is different from normal Kuva, I have no idea. The purpose behind this gesture was for her followers to feed her blood to the wildlife of the plains so that she may spread her mind further, not to control the animals, but to be a part of them as much as they were now a part of her. So it seems that Unum's blood serves to create a connection to the outside world. But there's more. The sentient discovered an animal with essence of the Unum and decided to investigate through autopsy. The sentient had been found, but the sentient also found something that it had longed for. By consuming what little amount of Unum blood it could, the sentient discovered that this blood could heal it and give back the ability to reproduce. Now the sentient had eyes on the prize and decided not to destroy the tower, but to become the tower. When night fell, the sentient charged headfirst towards the Unum, but was caught as the great pylons burst alive for the first time. And they are the towers around the outside of the plains of Eidolon, basically acting as a barrier. Gara could no longer wait to finish off the sentient, but alone was nearly snuffed out. She was nowhere near strong enough to take on the sentient alone. Uh, this was until she saw a device that was not recognisable at first. It was the final gift the Unum had created from her own flesh. A bomb. A bomb that Gara held close to herself as the sentient seemingly devoured her, drawing her closer to its core. When the device exploded, it destroyed both Gara and the sentient. So with all that said and done, it becomes easy to understand why the Unum is held in such reverence. As a bonus final piece, it appears that members of the Quills have consumed the blood and work to do the Unum's bidding. Very cool. I didn't know half of that. <laughs> it's it's pretty cool stuff. It really is. There's so much in there, isn't there? Oh yeah. So much. So one thing I actually I want to start with um, is back in the... Unum Fragment. Being known by the Ostrons as the Unum and to the ignorant offworlders as the Wall. What are your thoughts about that? It's very interesting, mainly because of the whole idea of the man in the wall. So to have two characters using the word or the term the Wall to refer to them is very interesting. But at the same time, it could be simply that the ignorant offworlders just see the tower and the wall of the tower and the fact that the Ostrons peel the flesh of the wall and take it down to do whatever the hell the Ostron do with the flesh of the wall. Maybe that's why they refer it to the wall. As Possibly. The wall. I mean, that is a complete possibility. Um, could be as simple as that, but yeah, could be. It's interesting, definitely. Now, I've I've definitely got my theories, but they are very um, in depth, and I I don't want to talk about them. So that's that's unlikely. Yeah, no, it, it it's I'm I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna basically lay down the the, the basics of it. <laughs> just the basics. I feel like maybe the unum itself, because because remember the un unum is Latin for one. So what if the tower is the first device that required transference. Mm. Putting that out there. So that would mean that either the person inside is not a Tenno and they're 
basically fused their mind with the tower, much like how I think it was Titania's original uh, operator was not a Tenno and decided transference was a thing and corrupted themselves, corrupted their soul and whatnot. Or the individual residing within the tower is actually a Tenno, um, and that would explain why Gara refused to abandon the tower. She didn't want to leave one of her yeah, didn't, brothers or sisters yeah, behind. Didn't, didn't want to leave a comrade behind. But, I mean, looking at the tower itself and, and thinking how damn large that thing is, there would there would <laughs> bound to be some some secret halls or something hidden within. So I'm thinking maybe the wall is kind of like doubles as a prison for something else. Something like the man in the wall. Mm. Possibly, possibly. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if the Unum has any anything to do with the man in the wall, because ignorant offworlders probably don't even know what the man in the wall is at all. True, true. But I'm just like I'm thinking about like what kind of what, what kind of characters was it that actually pushed us towards the man in the wall. It was during Chains of Harrow, we had the high priestess of the Red Veil, who could see visions, much like how the Unum can see visions. Mm. So maybe there is a connection, maybe there isn't. Maybe I'm just shooting it. Well, it is an Orican tower. It could be that there's an Orican. Yeah. An old Orican person in there who used their um, continuity. To bond with the tower. Possibly. It could even be the very first Cephalon. Hey, hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could be. So there's a number of things it could be. And, and again, uh, it's something that just struck me is, uh, again, on the whole simplest theory is often the correct one. People might refer to it as the wall because of the big ass fucking electrical wall around Cetus. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there's certainly a lot of different things that it could be. But then again, when someone's writing such convoluted stuff, they're probably not going to keep something simple like that in there, are they? Mm. I just wonder if we'll mm. ever get, if Dee will ever revisit the Unum, or if they'll just leave it as a big question marks in the game. Yeah. Because, I mean, looking at the, the abilities of the Unum itself makes things very interesting in the sense of you can't just visit the tower. Hmm. You have to be let in. You can't attack the tower because, well, your weapons become useless. Mm. Technology, any hostile technology becomes useless. So She's protected herself. Yeah. So, like... If indeed it is a she. Well, that that's, that's also another thing. I mean, uh, I was looking at a few theories and one person was saying, you know, it, it would be completely sides uh, yeah out, out of the park if maybe the unum was in fact the man in the wall the whole time and was just <laughs> basically putting on like a thousand year thousand thousand year scam <laughs> <laughs> interesting that'd be funny i mean that's that's a possibility it's it's right out of the ballpark Any- but anything's possible really yeah <laughs> it's kind of like schrodinger's cat yeah <laughs> <laughs> Until they actually tell us what the truth is, anything's possible. Yeah, and to be honest, I don't even <laughs> think DE 100% knows where they're going with the story. So, it's yeah, it's all up that. in the air at the moment as to what it could possibly be. But another thing I wanted to uh, to look at is that the Kuva. Mm-hmm. Now, the Kuva we know and, and love has corruptive 
capabilities. Like it's it's not. I don't want to say it's not pure because we don't know if it is pure. Like pure Kuva corrupts, and maybe this new this new Kuva that we're just finding out about now that is in the tower is some kind of um, watered down Kuva. Like I don't know. Like why why is it so different? Because it's not the same. But it's it's still Kuva, and it's you know something that the Orican like it, it comes specifically from the Orican Empire. Like the Orican Empire used Kuva for continuity and, and prolonging their life. But what drove them to make their structures, their buildings, out of Kuva also? Well, I guess that's probably tied in very closely to what the Unum is or who the Unum is. Hmm. So it, yeah. Especially if it's the only one that exists too, which is probably the case. Yeah. So it definitely, definitely causes rise to a lot of interesting questions. Yeah, it does. Unanswerable questions, sadly, but yeah. very interesting questions. Although I'm starting to feel like, okay, so we saw this year Dev uh, Tanacon, we saw the little snippet of the war within, not the war within, uh, the new war, and... You know, we're questioning, why is the Plains of Eidolon being attacked? Maybe this is it. Maybe they've come for the Unum. Oh, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. True. Well, they did say that they were going to tie up the story with the man in the wall, or they were going to continue the story with the man in the wall. So if it's all interrelated, why not? Yeah. But then again, if it is going to be a new war, I would expect there to be a war on every damn planet if it's a solar system-wide war. That's that's true. Otherwise, it's not really a war, is it? It's just a skirmish somewhere out in space. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, listening to that part, though, we hear that outposts throughout the entire system have, have fallen, and we just witness- yeah. But it's also Natar's brother that's seen walking across the plains of Eidolon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe the, the lead force is going to Earth, and ev everyone else is just kind of attacking everywhere else. Yeah, Peter or whatever his name was. Can't remember what his name is, so I'm calling him Peter. Peter's a good name. I'm calling Peter. <laughs> yeah, so the the Unum was a very good choice on your part. We were kind of struggling. I mean, we knew we were, that we could do a whole bunch of different quests, but we didn't know which supporting topic to do. And Gara was looking up the Gara. Your name's not Gara, is it? It's Lucas. No. <laughs> Luke, <laughs> Lucas was looking up the Ostron and things like that, and then just fell in love with the Unum lore, and I can see why. And, yeah, it is kind of mind-blowing. It's just it, I'm going to have to sit there and think about it for a bit now. Yeah, it really, <laughs> really does make you, like, stop and think and, and consider, like, everything that you've, you've seen in the lore to date and the vast, like, looking, looking just at the, the Oricon's technology, and now looking at the tower and realizing just how vast their technology really was. <laughs> There's freaking so much to it. <laughs> like, holy damn. Like technology that literally can shut down yeah. any kind of hostile intent around it. Weapons and abilities and, and everything. That's freaking cool. And create things from its own flesh. Like, yeah, that's not- What the hell were they doing? <laughs> Drugs when they wrote it. <laughs> Probably. Um, and another interesting point, you mentioned the thousand-year fish and the, the uh, glass fragments. 
Yep. The voice that narrates those is actually Konzu. Was it Konzu? Onko. Onko, yeah. It was Onko who narrates them. Uh, There's two stories uh, hidden within those um, thousand-year fish. One is the one that I went over before with Gara and the Unum. The other one is called um, Tale of a Husband and Wife. And that goes into more of the origins of Cetus itself um, and how it gained its name and how it gained some of the legends that revolve around it. So it's pretty cool. We'll have uh, to if you get a chance, check them out. We will more likely do them in the future. Yeah. Indeed. All right. So thank you for listening to Lawcast number 13, Spooky Spooky. Next week, we're back to the regular minis and we're up to Saren already, which means we're not that far away from finishing all of our Warframe 101s, which is pretty exciting and a little bit scary all at the same time. But anything else you wanted to mention before we close out, Lucas? Uh, no, I have no more things to add. All right, so if you want to reach out to us, reach out to us via our website at cephalonsquared.com. Of course, there are plenty of different things that you can see and do on our website, but there are plenty of links to our Facebook group, uh, Discord group, all of that fun stuff. Or you could just send us an email at cephalonsquared.com, whatever you'd like to do. Don't forget that our competition for Captura is running at the moment. There's another week and a half left before that finishes up, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, of course. That finishes up on October 26th. 2019 yes and we'll see maybe you can win 300 plat let's thank our patrons lucas let's do it thank you rathok thanks jellybean1799 thank you lord Frieson. thanks logan neil thank you danathan and thank you solarian if you'd like to support us if you like what we do and you want to give a dog a bone head on over to cephalonsquared.com forward slash support and there are a number of different ways that you can potentially support us uh, either via Patreon or Coffee. Uh, there's also a store. Don't forget we've got a merchandise store. At the moment, there's a little sale on. Every month or so, there's a sale where you can get the T-shirts and all that jazz a little bit cheaper. So uh, keep an eye on the store if there's anything you like. But of course, at the same time, we do just simply need you, the listener. So hope we can continue to entertain you. Help us out. Give us a rating on the podcast platform. That helps as well. My name is Greg Newbegin. I am Mad Capsules all over the place. Who are you, Lucas? I am Lucas Silvestri, and I am Silverlight all over the place. S-I-L-V-R-L-G-H-T. Massive thank you to our lovely and glorious community. You guys rock. Indeed you do. And thanks to Jan at Disco underscore Box on Twitter for the intro and outro. Still haven't seen a love letter to Disco Box this week, which makes me cry crying all week please don't let me cry and thank you to you for listening we'll be back in a couple of days for devstream 132 bye thanks for listening to cephalon squared if you'd like to contact us reach out via our website at cephalonsquared.com where you can find us via email facebook twitter or discord but don't fret there'll be more cephalon squared in a few short days so don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode